T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. It is 707 in the Twin Cities, 52 degrees. I want to let you know that we will take an update on the mass shooting in Pittsburgh at that synagogue that left 11 dead, uh, six people injured, including four police officers at the bottom of the hour. But this hour, we are actually going to focus on a couple of key congressional races. Uh, there are a lot of key congressional races in Minnesota. Minnesota only has eight uh, members of Congress or in the House of Representatives. Four of those races have been ranked as toss-ups, and this is so important because the balance of power in the U.S. House of Representatives is very much at stake here, and the road to that control, I think, really runs through Minnesota. I do want to invite you to tune into uh, our new political show on the TV side uh, at 10:30 a.m. Uh, Pat Kessler and I will break down all the political happenings of the past week, and uh, looking ahead to next week, the final week uh, up until the election, and certainly there have been. An enormous amount of things going on. But uh, this hour, we're going to focus on two races, the third congressional district and uh, later on in this half hour, the set, the first congressional district. Uh, this half hour, though, we are going to fa- focus on the third, which, of course, is the race uh, between incumbent Congressman Eric Paulson and uh, businessman and philanthropist Dean Phillips. Uh, Dean Phillips was a guest. Uh, on this show uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, and so right now we are very pl- pleased to have live in studio Congressman Eric Paulson. Thank you so much for coming in. Oh, it's great to be with you. All right. Uh do want to ask you right now um, your reaction to the uh, horrific events uh, in, in Pittsburgh today. Well, of course, as you say, it, it's, it, it, it was horrific. It is horrific. And, um, you know, it's always hard to define or look at the motives when an individual does – Something like this. Uh, it's, it's a senseless tragedy. It's hard to believe this happens in the United States. It's why, you know, I think there, we're on the cusp of hopefully some bipartisan support that will pass some measures that address some of the gun violence, uh, gun violence restraining orders I'm referring to. And some states have followed through after some of the tragedies, like in the Parkland tragedy. And that's where uh, Congressman Ted Deutsch and I proposed a gun violence restraining order model. So if a family member gets a tip that someone might be a threat to themselves or to others, Law enforcement in that situation would be able to take away the weapons. You'd have probable cause. You'd still have some due process, but you could avert a tragedy and potential suicides as well, by the way. And so I don't know if that would have prevented this tragedy, obviously, but it well, I certainly think, I think he was, some. And it's not clear. He had, I think, four weapons on him and he had, I think, did have a license to carry. Whether he had a license to carry for each of those weapons, it's not known. But but you also were a roommate, and I don't know if he's still your roommate, uh, with, with Representative Steve Scalise. Correct. Who was – gunned down practicing for the congressional baseball game. And uh, he's, I know, a good friend of yours. But uh, one of the issues that's come up uh, with these mass shootings and something that your opponent, Dean Phillips, supports is a ban on assault rifles. Uh, this gunman here did have an AK-47. What are your thoughts about that? 
Well, and, and first of all, you know, Steve Scalise, uh, he still is my roommate. He still is. Uh, okay. yeah. I, I know there was some concern that he'd be able to – so he, he, he still is back in the house with he, you guys. He literally just came back after September, after Labor oh, wow. Day. And so it took him a whole year actually for, right. for recovery. And he still has some recovery going on, but he is in pretty good shape and lucky to be where he's at considering what he went through. So, I mean, obviously um, current – under current law, uh, machine guns and automatic weapons are illegal um, and they should be illegal. And devices that make – illegal weapon into an automatic weapon should also be illegal, like a bump stock, which we heard about in the Las Vegas tragedy. So, I mean, I've been most interested in focusing on opportunities to find workable solutions where there's not such a partisan divide. And so part of the challenge with an assault weapons ban is they had an assault weapons ban at one time, uh, but it didn't have any statistical change in these types of incidents. That's It's modeled on what the gun looks like as opposed to how it works, right? Because hunters use semi-automatic weapons, for instance. Well, most of the hunters so, I know in Minnesota don't use semi-automatic weapons for, for deer hunting. I mean, yes, well, like I can. Yeah, but, but I, 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 I use a semi-automatic shotgun for deer hunting, and Congressman Klein does, um, and others. I mean, for semi-automatic shotguns, but you don't want to capture those types of weapons. Yeah. Based how about on, a ban on, on some of these guns like AK-47s that seem to be the model of choice for in all of these – so many of these incidents? Yeah, if it's an automatic weapon, it should be illegal. But I thought AK-47 has an automatic capability. Uh, right. It would be illegal, essentially. And we, we don't know about this. But, yeah. but in terms of a semi-automatic weapon ban, that's not something you support. Well, I would be open to looking at any modifications that would actually produce less gun violence. And one thing we also did do, Esme, is that we formally and finally lifted the ban on gun violence – on research that the federal government can do. And I mean if we're doing basic research on cancer and Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, et cetera, why should we be doing research on gun violence? Well, the gun lobby had for a long time – restricted that, didn't want to have that ban in place because they thought it would lead to gun control. But I think we should be looking at basic research. It might lead to some policy decisions. Let me ask you about a major controversy involving one of your own ads. Uh, and this is the ad that points to uh, when Dean Phillips was uh, the chair of the board of Alina, and there was a doctor that was accused of uh, sexual harassment and this ad has gotten – it's normal for candidates to criticize their opponent's ads. I mean that you see every single day or they say it's unfair or it's taken out of context. I'm not sure I've ever seen uh, the volume uh, or the, the nature of the criticism of this particular ad where you've got prominent members uh, of the community, people like Bill and Penny George uh, coming out saying that this is inappropriate and, and this is wrong. And then you also have the attorney – uh, for some of these women and the women themselves saying this is inappropriate. How do you address that? Yeah, well, and real quick, and we've talked about this before, but uh, Dean Phillips has made an active issue of, of actually being on the board of these different companies, chairing the board of different companies. He's bragged about that on the campaign trail. So he brought this in as an issue when at Alina at that time there was a group of women that had alleged harassment, um, a whistleblower – notified the board and was worried and claimed that there was going to be a cover-up. And so this was reported in the Star Tribune. Um, and even the woman who represented those women that you mentioned, uh, she herself in her original complaint had said there was a whistleblower and that the board had been notified and this was possibly being covered up. So I think that was common knowledge. But Dean Phillips himself at first said, I didn't know anything about it. Then he said, well, I don't specifically remember. So he's kind of changed his story too. So, I mean, that ad is not running now because we're on a different rotation of different ads. Uh, but because he's referenced as a qualification to be in Congress, his time on the board 
serving as a board position, you have an opportunity to address those types of issues. Because um, – so that ad's no longer running just because it's – Correct. OK. Because I, I – there was another – I got another email from the attorney involved um, uh, you know, demanding that it not run anymore because she feels it's, it's misleading and, and incorrect use. I think she said that uh, she felt that, that her clients were being used and the women themselves have done it. But overall, the, the tone of the ads um, – and obviously this is a very close race. The tone of your ads – has been far more negative. I sort of remember a number of years ago where you had uh, you had your four daughters in, in the ads, and you were the math guy or whatever. And it, it was, um, yeah, I, I thought that was a really. Um, I think I even told you I thought that was a really good ad. People like to see people's kids sure. or whatever. I mean, what happened to those ads? Yeah, well, and, I, and just for the record, I'm, I'm running one ad now that would be termed a positive ad along those fronts, and we have one ad that would be a contrast with my opponent. Uh, and look, I mean, Dean Phillips is not. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, he's got to be accountable too for some of his ads, and he's certainly distorted. Uh, you know, my record, face to camera, voice to camera, his own uh, his own language, saying I don't support pre-existing conditions in healthcare, which is absolutely false, and everyone knows that. So I think you know, there it goes both ways, obviously. And look at another one of his ads, and you know, he removed this ad as well after we complained about it, but he was mocking a twenty-year-old staffer. And uh, who had a speech uh, impediment, and so we thought that was pretty pathetic. But he eventually pulled that ad too. Okay, and that ad, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with. Um, let me ask you: the third congressional district, um, and for folks, you know, because sometimes we throw out these numbers and assume that everybody knows exactly where the third congressional district is, but it's the suburbs, essentially the suburbs west of Minneapolis. Uh, it includes, um, you know, you've got Edina, you've got Minnetonka, you've got Hopkins. You also have part of Brooklyn Park, right? All of Brooklyn Park. All of, all of Brooklyn Park. Right. Um, in terms of that congressional district in 2016, voted for Hillary Clinton. I think she won there by about 10 percentage points. She didn't do very well in Minnesota. She she almost lost the election, but she did do very well in the third congressional district. You, on the other hand, beat – you did extremely well. You won almost by 15 points over a very popular state senator. Is the issue here that the district is simply a lot more democratic and liberal than you are? Well, I think it's it's an issue where Minnesotans vote the person. They don't vote the party and that that's good. That's what Minnesotans generally do. They will ticket split and they'll vote for you know Amy Klobuchar and myself or you know Barack Obama and myself, for instance. And so while it's true, Hillary Clinton – did win the district over Trump by almost 10 percentage points. I mean, Hillary barely got 50 percent. So you had a case of two candidates that had high negatives themselves and didn't attract a lot of voter support, in essence. So a lot of people wrote in other folks, for instance, uh, as, as an example. So, yeah, it, it has always been a very competitive district. I see that being the exact same right now. Um, and I don't see that changing. And so, yeah, these elections get hard fought. And I know there's four congressional competitive races going on. So you got a lot of outside money that's coming in as well. Um, and we're seeing a lot of that play out in TV uh, right now this week. All right. Um, obviously, one of the big political stories this week, certainly there have been a lot of stories this week that, that have made a lot of news, one that may not have uh, gotten a ton of attention, but we certainly mentioned it on the TV side, was the fact that the president gave you his unequivocal endorsement. Uh, in the past uh, few years, you have – you 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 were you were the only Republican congressman who was not at that rally in Duluth with um, the president in June. You were not at the rally with him uh, earlier this month in uh, Rochester. You, you've taken pains at times to try and distance yourself from the president. 
and noting your, your, how you differ from him on a number of positions. Yet your voting record is either 97 or 98 percent in support of the president. Tell me about your reaction to that that endorsement. Did you know it was coming? Sure. Well, no, I no, I had no idea that was coming. I think it was one of Trump's tweets that he does sort of famously in the middle of the night or early in the morning. And you know, I mean, Trump is Trump, and and he, he's going to do what he's he's going to do. And if, you know, of course, I'm not going to go to Duluth or to Rochester for a rally. This, those are areas well outside of my 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 community. Well, Sean Duffy was the one in Duluth. I'm trying to think of well, who else were there. Was, there were a lot of other people who traveled. Um, I mean, Tom Emmer's district is not does not include Duluth. And he exactly. Was there. Yeah. And again, I can't speak to those guys, but I'm focused on my constituents and who I represent in my own community. And I think that that is important. And look, if I have differences of opinion with members of my own party or in the president, as I do on some issues. Um, I will voice those concerns uh, when it's important to Minnesota, whether it's protecting the boundary waters, whether it's on immigration, whether it's on trade and tariff policy. Um, and I'll speak out vociferously about those. So I think that's what is most important. It's why I have a bipartisan record of being successful in some competitive races because member, I think members of the population are looking for their elected leaders to be to be working across the aisle to get things done. I'm number three in the whole Congress, House and Senate for the person who gets the most bipartisan co-authors of the bills. And that's that's a brand that I've used and I'm going to continue to use because it it works. It allows me to get things done. But were you glad to get the endorsement? Oh, it doesn't matter. No, it, I, it doesn't make any difference. So, I mean, I didn't seek it out. I was surprised to see it. Uh, uh, I mean, do you think it's going to hurt you? Oh, it's not going to it's not going to have any, impa- any impact one, one, one way or the other. You don't think it will have any impact at all? No. I mean, I, I guess the only calls that I had about it after the tweet was I had one call from NPR and I had one call from the Star Tribune, and I think we had one call that came into the office. I mean, no one else was following it. Well, so I, I know we reported it. There's been a lot of news this week. Um, listen, we have to take a quick break. Uh, we'll continue uh, the conversation with Eric Paulson here in just a bit. Congressman Eric Paulson, obviously the incumbent in the third congressional district. It is 51 degrees in the Twin Cities, 723. I'm chatting with Congressman Eric Paulson, who is the incumbent in the 3rd Congressional District. Uh, I do want to say again that uh, we did have his opponent, Dean, B- uh, Dean Phillips, on just a few weeks ago. Uh, so we've given them the same amount of time. So for anybody who's wondering where Mr. Phillips was, he was on this program uh, again a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Congressman Paulson, the polls have you actually trailing in this race uh, some of them, I think, by, by as much as nine. I think the latest KSTP poll was five points within the margin of error. Uh, and some of the the polls, the groups that rank these races, toss up lean Republican, solid Republican, have moved this race from a toss up to lean Democrat. What are your thoughts about that? Well, first of all, um, I don't pay attention to the polls. Uh, you know, polls are just a snapshot of past. You know history, uh, if anything. And it's hard to get accuracy in polls, as we've seen in the, in the election of the president or in the election and other elections that have happened in Minnesota. So I just focus on on what matters, being in front of folks, um, knocking on 200 doors a day and just staying in touch with folks. And, uh, you know, I've been successful. I think people in the end, you know, as, as, may, as you well know, um, whether they answer a poll question honestly or not, they are going to trust their elected officials who listen, who spend time with them, who follow up and have a good, solid record of getting things done. And so, you know, 
those of us in the Minnesota delegation have a pretty good record of working across the aisle together on things, especially when it's important in Minnesota, maybe on invasive species, sex trafficking, as I've done with Amy Klobuchar, for instance. Um, and that's that's important. So I communicate that. I emphasize that all the time rather than just paying attention to the polls. Well, well the other statistic that I think is so interesting is that statewide uh, – the number of people who register the same day, it averages about 11.9 percent. Uh, and that's something that, that you don't have in other states. And that's something that they can certainly tip an election either way. I actually looked at the um, – when I was interviewing Mr. Phillips, I actually looked at same-day registrations in, in your district. It was a little bit less, but it was I think over 10 percent. I think you've got a little bit of Carver, right? Correct. Carver County. Yeah, Chanhassen and Victoria and Chaska in that area. Okay. Yep. Um, in terms of uh, when you're uh, – and the one thing I do want to ask you because I know that you were very involved in this, um, the president's tax cuts, uh, that's something that you've touted in your campaign ads and, and said that's really been a benefit to people. But what about these exploding deficits? Uh, isn't that something that we're all going to have to come to, to reckon with at, at some point? Well, absolutely. And I would say this. Uh, look, the Congressional Budget Office for years had been telling us uh, over the last eight years that as a country, we were never going to get better than 2%, in fact, 1.9% growth as an economy. And we were going to be having high deficits and more on, added onto our national debt. So we have to have growth. We have to have more revenue coming in. And so as a part of passing the tax cut, you know, there was a short-term um, you know, $1.5 trillion number because of Senate budget rules that got assigned to this. But the bottom line is we have record federal rev- revenues now coming in, the highest they've ever been in the history of the country. We've seen middle-income tax cuts, folks getting bigger paychecks, folks saving money. But most importantly, the economy is performing so well. For the first time in the history of the country, we have more job openings than job seekers. And the third district, by the way, is me. The third congressional district has the best record of the lowest unemployment in the entire country, of any district in the country. We're at one percent Nine percent. So people feel real good about their own economic situation, and it really is about prosperity for the next generation. Having young people get out of college, not have to live at home with their parents, not have to work part time, but work full time upward mobility, and then for older folks that are baby boomers or seniors to have confidence of Medicare and Social Security being stronger, which it is, as the Congressional Budget Office says. In terms of the benefits of the tax cut to the average Minnesota family, I've seen different political figures in this, in, in this state throw out different numbers. And if you talk to a lot of middle-class Minnesotans, they're saying, well, I'm not really feeling it. I feel like it, the biggest part went to corporations. What do you say about that? Well, first of all, folks will file their taxes before this next April, so they'll actually see the changes in the rate reductions, et cetera. Uh, the withholding tables did change, so people definitely have more money in their pockets. And, you know, folks have gotten pay raises, et cetera, and bonuses and better benefits. But in the third district, the average tax cut for a family is closer to $5,000. It's different in different areas or communities. Uh, but it's also pretty clear that based on the law that passed, most of the benefits flow to the low- and middle-income folks – um, I think the critics, and this has been, uh, this has already been dubbed by the Washington Post or other fact checkers as false when they say all the benefits flowed to, you know, businesses and corporations or the wealthy because uh, some of the tax cuts under the under the law were set to expire. And we've already taken action to pass to extend those permanently for families. I'm confident that that's going to happen on a bipartisan basis going forward because there'll be bipartisan support to make sure families have that benefit as well. Okay. Well, Congressman Eric Paulson, thank you so much for coming in uh, and coming in on a Saturday night. Great to talk to you. We obviously are going to be following your race closely. It's hard to believe that the election's only 
well, just a little over a week away. Ten days. All right. Uh, we do, folks, have to take a break here because uh, coming up, we do have a special report from CBS News on the developing tragedy in Pittsburgh where 11 people were shot and killed at a, mos- at a synagogue today. It is 7.34 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Coming up in our 8 o'clock hour, we'll chat political news with Professor David Schultz, uh, including the latest on that tragedy uh, out of Pittsburgh with 11 people shot and killed as they worshipped in a synagogue, four police officers among those injured in that attack, the gunman in custody. Uh, This hour, we have been uh, talking about two uh, congressional races. Uh, we just visited with Congressman Eric Paulson, the incumbent in the third congressional district. Uh, and as I said before, we had his opponent on, Dean Phillips, on an earlier show earlier this month. Uh, and earlier this month, we also had um, in the, focused on the first uh, congressional district. And we had Jim Hagedorn on, uh, who is the Republican nominee in the first congressional district. But now we're going to have his opponent, the Democrat, Dan Fien. Dan, thank you for so much for coming on. Oh, Esme, thank you so much for having me. And um, let me ask, and where are you tonight? I, I assume somewhere in the 1st Congressional District. Somewhere in the 1st District. Uh, just got back to North Mankato, uh, just left a, a gathering in Owatonna, uh, just got in from it. Right. And, and the thing about the 1st Congressional District, I think a lot of people, uh, and it shifted boundaries over the years, so a lot of people sort of think about Rochester, but in fact, it's an enormous district that goes all the way from Wisconsin, uh, definitely includes Rochester, goes up to Mankato, but then goes all the way to the South Dakota border. Is It's got to be difficult in some ways to, to really kind of try and get to as many places as you want to, uh, to campaign. Sure. I mean, it's, it, uh, I like to think of it, uh, 13,000 uh, square miles uh, in 21 different counties, 21 different personalities, uh, 21 different uh, sets of communities, and uh, many of which have different things in common, but they are distinct and they're different. And I no, I, I never look at it as a, as a burden get from place to place. It's exciting uh, because you get to see what the, the things are in common between our communities right now and what are different and certainly what the common challenges and the, and the, the common frustrations people have today. I, I, I gain energy every step of the way, even even this last stretch. All right. Let me ask you, Mr. Fian, uh I'd like to get your reaction to the tragedy that occurred in, in Pittsburgh today. Uh, there are reports, and we had it at the top of the hour and also at the bottom of the hour, that uh, a semi-automatic weapon, an AR-15, uh, was used in that attack. Um, what are your thoughts, first of all, about this uh, event in Pittsburgh and your, your position on, on a possible semi-automatic weapons ban and, and gun control in general? Certainly. I, I mean, this is, uh, I've been thinking about it all day, as as I know a lot of people have. And I, I do also want to, to point to, I think, something very, very, in particular, disturbing. Uh, and that's that's the fact that uh, uh, people's right to peaceably assemble and, and worship uh, was under attack today. And that, that is a fundamental American right. And my heart and thoughts are, are with those uh, who have been not just attacked today, uh, but the law enforcement as well on the way. And I, I think it's important to, to remember that because as, as this, this kind of chaotic moment, this chaotic week in our country uh, comes to a close, it, this is something that, that is certainly about gun violence, but uh, what appears to be uh, something more to it as well. And I, I don't want to lose sight of that. Um, 
And I just, what as somber as a a day it is, I I just left a gathering where 120 people uh, turned out to door knock and and gather peaceably themselves in Owatonna uh, because in in spite of the chaos and, 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 divisiveness of the moment there there is a message of hopefulness that's out there too which which in part of it is to to, to hope and address uh, uh gun violence in the holistic way that you have to uh, and and part of that uh is absolutely the the aspect of mass shootings in our country but it is as as we know far bigger than that and i i'm hope to to bring to bear my own experience as someone who's who's been under fire, uh, who's been shot at, who's carried uh, an M4 in war, who's, who's lost students to gun violence, who's lost friends uh, to gun violence by suicide, and who believes in the spirit and intent uh, of research-driven policy. And I, it is my hope that with every idea that we, we want to introduce and pursue, uh, fully funding the Center for Disease Control uh, to address it with research as well so we can demonstrate causation uh, along the way is, is the approach that I hope to be able to take. How about any specific measures uh, in terms of, of gun control? Uh, there, there have not been very many measures that have been passed. Um, Congressman Paulson was just talking about a bipartisan effort uh, in terms of, um, you know, that he's supporting. What, what, what specific measures would you support? Well, I, I think it's important to, again, the, the emphasis of research here. In the absence of research, any measure uh, that either Republican, Democrat, or hopefully bipartisan effort proposed, it, it, you're not able to demonstrate the degree to which it is working or not working. Uh, and so uh, while I am someone who wants to talk uh, about the importance of uh, universal background checks in particular and who wants to talk about uh, whether the capacity of the weapons that are out there and available today uh, is is something that uh, goes too far. If there is not research backing it up, uh, you can make an argument in case, but you cannot demonstrate the the impact that a policy would have. And so every part of that conversation, research has to accompany it. Um, We're talking with uh, Dan Fian. He is the Democratic candidate in the 1st Congressional District. This is the district that is uh, being vacated by Tim Walls. Uh, Tim Walls won uh, in 2016, but he won very narrowly, I think by about 2,000 votes. Uh, and the polls in, in this race show you and Mr. Hagedorn really tightly knotted up. I think the last poll from KSDP had, had you up by two points, certainly well within the margin of error. What's your read on where this race stands? Yeah, certainly. I mean, we certainly saw that poll and, and came away very encouraged by it uh, because I feel a sense of momentum on the ground. I mean, I just, this left the gathering of 120 people on their, on their Saturday afternoon and evening choosing uh, to step forward and engage into politics. And the only poll that ultimately matters is Tuesday, November 6th. Uh, but we are, we are heartened by the momentum and energy we see because a crowd like we picked up tonight has been the consistent building theme uh, over the last month because it is people in southern Minnesota who I believe are independent-minded. Uh, groups of Democrats, sure, but people who identify as Republicans and, and a lot who identify as independents stepping forward, looking for a sense of civility, uh, a tone of independence uh, needed in Washington, D.C. at a time where we need a check and balance uh, to be there. And I hope to be that voice. All right. Obviously, uh, the president came to the first congressional district uh, campaigning for Jim Hagedorn, also uh, Congressman Lewis and and other Republicans uh, up and down the ticket. Uh, What impact uh, does the president's endorsement and campaigning actually in the district uh, have, do you think? I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I was certainly in Rochester that day in, engaging and communicating with, with people directly. We, we did door knock uh, that evening and we had 140 people show up in, in Rochester. And it just it was a, a powerful, 
strong sense of energy from the Rochester community in particular. And then the conversations on the doors were very telling themselves. I, I talked to, to uh, four self-identified Republicans that evening who said they had already voted uh, for our campaign. And so I, I think it's important to remember uh, that the first district of Minnesota is, an, is a, a, a place of independent-minded people who voted both for President Obama and President Trump. And they are looking uh, for candidates who are willing to demonstrate how, how they are going to fight for them. And uh, to be able to talk about my experience as a soldier, as a teacher, working in the Pentagon, being that independent voice, I think is the is the is where the energy is right now. Uh, and that's what's needed in a southern Minnesota that has to be able to work with the president but also stand up to him, uh, for example, in, in, in his reckless trade policies that are, are, are absolutely hurting our farms uh, all across the district. In terms of policy, and I'd like to get to farm policy here, but it appears that in, in most of the candidates that I've had a chance to, to talk with, the number one issue is, is health care. What are you hearing about that? And specifically, what, where do you stand uh, in terms of you know, the problems that exist currently under Obamacare? Sure. Healthcare has been from day one uh, the number one issue by a wide, wide margin. And it's it's not just an aspect of the cost of your health care. That's certainly it. It's whether you have health care uh, as well and unique to the first district here, unique to southern Minnesota. It's, it's how far away that health care is. And you have to be able to speak to all of those challenges because they, they could be experienced by, uh, you know, people in the same household at the same time. And the principle that I, I want to be able to pursue from Congress is the idea uh, that everyone can have access to affordable health care uh, and access being both the health care plans that are out there and how far away the doctor is uh, ultimately end of the day. And when you get there, that you aren't blown away by the cost either of that visit or the prescription drugs that may accompany that visit along the way. And I think there are many different policies you can pursue along the way. I, in particular, uh, feel it's, it's time to, to be able to introduce a public option out there so that people can buy in to Medicare and be able to have another option than, than what the individual market is right now, because the status quo is not working for people. But at the same time, my, my opponent and, and others present this, this aspect of moving backwards to a place where pre-existing conditions weren't protected. I, I am someone who wants to move forward with health care to, again, provide more options for people so that everyone can ultimately have access to affordable health care. That, that, that has to be uh, the movement that we, we keep pushing ahead because that's what people are experiencing every day in their lives. So, so you, you support a public option, but you're not talking single payer. No, those are those are distinct things, absolutely. And I think what the system needs right now is to to have a relief because it, the for profit industry of of, of uh, health insurance companies have no incentive to get cheaper right now. And I, I think it is incumbent on us to introduce that into the system so that that spirit of free enterprise can exist here and people can be free to be healthy. And how do you pay for that? So the aspect of uh, public option is the idea that it, it is revenue neutral in that people pay for it, they buy into it. And the administrative cost of it are so far lower uh, at the end of the day by, by comparison to private insurance companies. And so it is not the idea of, of what certainly is described in plenty of attack ads along the way. Uh, it, is, it is the aspect of being revenue neutral in the sense of people being able to pay for it themselves. One of the things that certainly occurred with, with Obamacare and certainly uh, hit a lot of people up in the first district, uh, especially farmers and small business people, were the out-of-pocket costs, including the premiums uh, if you were individually employed, which of course many farmers are. Uh, it's got, polls show here in Minnesota and across the country that Obamacare is increasingly popular. It's more popular now than it, than it ever has been. Uh, and, and some of those premiums have come down, but are 
aren't they still too high for many of those hardworking farmers and, and, and those individuals who own their own businesses? Because uh, that's something that, that I think a lot of people still are upset about. It, it absolutely. Is, I mean, let's let's talk about it in, in real human terms. I, I've had this conversation that I had at, at FarmFest with the, the spouse of a farmer uh, that has haunted me and stuck with me ever since. Uh, they are on the individual healthcare market right now with enormous uh, premiums. Uh, they had two, two of their, their kids get sick. Uh, they went to the doctor. It was the flu. They got treated. And the out-of-pocket cost for them was $750. And so uh, this, this woman's response to that was, next time my kids get sick with the flu, I just won't go to the doctor. And we're, we are in a country in the United States where we had a record number of flu deaths last year. And this is the place we're at with the system where people are choosing to be their own doctor in many senses and not seeking the, the care that they need when they, when they need it most. I, when I think about uh, this family that I'm talking about here, this is a perfect place for something like a public option to exist so that they have an alternative so that they, again, go to the doctor when they need to and don't, don't take what could have been uh, treatable problems and make them worse uh, down the road. All right. Uh, listen, uh, Dan Fede, we have to take a quick break, um, but we'd like to keep you uh, to come back and, and talk about your background because I know there have been a lot of negative ads on both sides uh, from outside parties. And, and I think you know people may not be familiar with with your background. You've sort of referred to your service and, and uh, your, your history as a teacher. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that when we come back. Happy to. All right. Uh, more with Dan Fian. Uh, he is the Democrat in the first congressional district. Uh, the election, of course, just a little over a week away. It is 7.50 in the evening here. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. We are chatting this half hour with Dan Fian. He is the Democratic candidate in the 1st Congressional District. Uh, He is running against Jim Hagedorn. This is an open seat. It's being vacated by Congressman Tim Walls, who, of course, is running for governor. Um, And it's a sprawling district, as we mentioned earlier, that goes all the way from uh, Wisconsin and Rochester up to Mankato and then all the way to the South Dakota border. Uh, and again, a, a rare open seat in Congress, although Minnesota actually has two of those. Uh, the eighth is also an open seat without an incumbent. Uh, we did have Mr. Hagedorn on a, a few weeks ago, so I do want everyone to know that, that we did uh, give him the same amount of time. Uh, Dan Fian, there's been a lot of really negative ads in this race, and I think for, for people – you know, I, I don't think sometimes people distinguish between the ads that, that are your ads versus the ads from third parties. Uh, but what's what's your reaction to, to the negative tone of, of the first district race? Yeah, it's it's um, as as, as uh, the listeners here, I, I I imagine it's getting increasingly difficult to watch TV uh, these days, and uh, I, I think. The, the desperate tone with which this stuff is is coming in is indicative of the strength of our message and the campaign we're building. I mean, it, this every attack that's been been thrown in here is essentially everything uh, that it appears uh, dark money super PACs can think of uh, to try to make an impact here. And as you, you mentioned a poll earlier, we're making progress. Uh, so you have to have. I'm an optimist by nature. You don't you don't go through two tours in Iraq or a middle school classroom and, and not be an optimist. And and I think that's a, that's the takeaway from this stuff. And it's 
it is something that I think Southern Minnesotans will ultimately reject uh, because it is that cynical type of politics uh, that turns people off in the first place. And what we have tried to offer is this message that politics is public service. And because it's public service, I, I know a lot about that because I, I didn't care whether the soldier next to me was a Democrat, Republican or independent. It was my responsibility to make sure I got them home safe. Same went with my students. Uh, same went with working in the Pentagon. And it's that idea that I, I intend uh, to seek responsibility and not power, uh, because with responsibility, you're beholden to everyone, even those that, that don't vote for you. And, and I think that message is, is winning and will win on the 6th of November. Um, you had a, a negative ad that was run against you, I think, by the Republican Congressional Committee that was um, – it, it ran early earlier on. I haven't seen it recently, but I, I've seen a lot of politicians accused of all kinds of things in negative ads. This one, w- with a very negative tone, said, Dan Fian, he's really from Wisconsin, um, which when, when you consider what, what other people are being accused of, might be a little humorous. You may not have thought it – that humorous because I know I did ask you about that when, when we met um, uh, earlier in the campaign. Uh, tell us about that ad um, because I know you feel it was very misleading. Oh, certainly. I mean, there are a number of these that have been misleading and attacking uh, my military service, attacking uh, my patriotism. And those are things that, look, I, 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 when I fought for the freedom of this country, I fought for, for the freedoms of this country. And uh, as mad as they may make me, I fought for those freedoms at the end of the day. And there's, there's 40,000 veterans here in the district. And I, I think when they see uh, a veteran being swift-boated, as, uh, as these dark money super PACs have attempted to do, uh, they, they won't respond kindly to it. And for me, I, I was born in St. Paul, grew up in Red Wing, Minnesota. Uh, that is where I'm from. That is where I, I Southern Minnesota is where I, I hope uh, to be able to represent in Congress. Uh, when I was serving overseas in Iraq, uh, my parents lived in Wisconsin. And so if anything had ever happened to me any time along the way, uh, a, a member of the military would have shown up at their door to knock on it. And uh, so that's the that's the type of, of angle that uh, these these super PACs take. Uh, it is dark stuff. It is cynical stuff. It is the type of politics that people hate when they are struggling with things every single day, like their health care. That's the type of message there. And, and it speaks to the reality that there's not a single positive ad out there on my opponent. Uh, it is an attempt to attack and mislead people uh, and an attempt to divide them. And again, a more hopeful message of service is one that I believe carries the day because that's that's the place that Southern Minnesota is, is a place where people serve each other and take care of each other in spite of any polis- political disagreement they might have. All right. So, Dan Fian, uh, the next, I guess, nine days, uh, what's uh, your plan? My, my plan is to, to keep up the energy and fire that's there every single day. Uh, this has been the most powerful, meaningful experience one can have. And when people are fearing and feeling a sense of, of fear about what their future is, what's the, the future of their health care, their wages, of where they belong. Uh, people are looking to be inspired with the message of hope and the idea that Congress can become a functional place. And so I'm going to be spreading that message everywhere I possibly can so that people know that there is an independent voice out there that won't be beholden to a corporation or any party leadership who is wants to go to Washington to get things done on behalf of them. All right. Well, Dan Fian, thank you so much. I know you probably had a very long day. We certainly appreciate uh, your joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. That's Dan Fian. He is the Democratic candidate in the 1st Congressional District. And again, we did have Jim Hagedorn, the Republican candidate in the 1st Congressional District, on this show uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, The 1st Congressional District, one of the most uh, watched districts in the entire nation, uh, along with actually the 8th Congressional District in northern Minnesota and also – 
the third congressional district. We heard earlier from Eric Paulson um, and the second congressional district. So a lot of eyes on Minnesota and this race. And really there are, I think, 23 seats. The Republicans have control of the U.S. House of Representatives. Democrats have to flip 23 seats and they would have control of the U.S. House of Representatives. Minnesota, as I said earlier, only has four or eight congressional seats in the U.S. House of Representatives. Four of them have been labeled as toss-ups, and certainly uh, it is very, very close in that first congressional district. Uh, Congressman Paulson saying that he thinks it's also very close in the third congressional district, but the polls really do show a very, very close race in the first. All right, folks, uh, keep it here. We're going to get an update from CBS News, and we also on that shooting in Pittsburgh. And coming up, Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University. Keep it here, News Radio 830. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.